Welcome to The Great Detectives of Old Time Radio from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter, or X, I guess they're saying now, at Radio Detectives. And check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. If you're enjoying the podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. Happy Guy Fox Day. 2% of my listeners are in the UK, and I'm sure know all about Guy Fox Day. But those of us in other parts of the world who may be vague on the details are going to learn a lot in our Sherlock Holmes Guy Fox Day special. When we were playing all the old-time radio Sherlock Holmes episodes in the early 2010s, I noticed that there were two different episodes of Sherlock Holmes recorded three years apart by two separate creative teams. I'd had the idea for years of comparing these two episodes, and then uh, noted uh, last year that this year's Guy Fox Day will fall on a Sunday when I don't have a regular episode playing, so this seemed like the perfect time to do it. Today's episode features a guest introduction. I decided to reach out to the most knowledgeable expert I personally knew in British history, Donna Fletcher Crow. Donna is a novelist of British history. She's written over 50 books across a variety of genres with a focus on history, mystery, and romance. One novel of interest for today's topic is When Love Restores. It actually features a Guy Fawkes Night celebration at Cambridge University in the mid-19th century and recounts the Cato Street Rebellion. You can find it on Amazon, and there's also a link to the book in today's show notes. Here now with her introductory comments is Donna Fletcher Crow. Remember, remember, the 5th of November, gunpowder, treason, and plot. Guy Fox, Guy Fox, t'was his intent to blow up the king and the parliament. Three score barrels of powder below, poor old England to overthrow. By God's providence, he was catched with a dark lantern and a burning match. And so goes the popular nursery rhyme, still often repeated on Guy Fawkes Night, or as it's more popularly known now as Bonfire Night. Adam Graham, with his Great Detectives of Old Time radio series, brings you not one, but two modernized versions of the gunpowder plot story. In these, the vile conspirators are not brought to justice by Thomas Knivet Richmond and his friend Edmund Doubleday, as was Guy Fox, but rather by none other than the world's greatest detective, Sherlock Holmes, and his friend, Dr. Watson. But true to the rhyme, the dark lantern and the burning match still play their part. 
Both versions include a good introduction to the historical facts for Americans. And like all old-time radio shows, these Guy Fox special episodes offer a charming time capsule. In this case, of an earlier time in England, as well as in our own country. Enjoy listening. Thank you, Donna. And you can learn more about Donna and her books at DonnaFletcherCrow.com. Now, let's get into today's first episode. And this episode of Sherlock Holmes is in the last season of the Rathbone Bruce radio era, over Mutual and sponsored by Petri Wine. The original air date is November 5th, 1945, and the title is The 5th of November. This episode from the life of Sherlock Holmes will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Petri Wine brings you... Basil Rathbone and Nigel Bruce in the new adventures of Sherlock Holmes. The Petrie family, the family that took time to bring you good wine, invites you to listen to Dr. Watson tell us another exciting adventure he shared with his good friend, that master detective, Sherlock Holmes. And if you ask me, the best way to listen to that story is to do it with a glass of port wine right handy. Petri California Port. No kidding, that Petri Port is just swell for any time good friends get together to talk things over. You couldn't ask for a more delicious wine. Why, just looking at the deep, rich red color of that Petri Port tells you that here's a wine with a flavor that comes right from the heart of sun-ripened grapes. If you haven't ever tried Petri Port, why not get a bottle and have a glass after dinner tomorrow night? It's a perfect after-dinner wine, you know. And share that port with your family and your friends. Don't forget, when you serve Petri Port, you can serve it proudly. Because after all, the name Petri is the proudest name in the history of American wines. And now let's keep our weekly appointment. Good evening, Dr. Watson. Good evening, Mr. Bartell. Draw up a chair. Thank you. That's it. By the way, do you know what date it is? Um... November 5th, isn't it? That's right. In England, it's known as Guy Fawkes Day. Have you ever heard of it? It's something to do with a gunpowder plot, isn't it? Yes, Mr. Bartell, it is. And as Sherlock Holmes and I had a very unusual adventure on the 5th of November many years ago, it seems appropriate that I should tell you about it tonight. Before I begin, I think it might help you to appreciate the true flavor of the story if I tell you a little about the origin and the customs of Guy Fawkes Day. It's well idea, Dr. Watson. Well, my boy... On November the 5th, 1605, exactly 340 years ago today, King James I was about to attend the opening of, of Parliament when a plot was discovered to blow up the House of Lords during the ceremony. And the chief conspirator was Guy Fawkes, I suppose? Yes, he was. He was captured in a vault immediately below the House of Lords, a vault full of barrels of gunpowder. Of course, he and his fellow conspirators were executed. And ever since then, November the 5th has been known as Guy Fawkes Day. Well, uh, how's it celebrated, Doctor? Well, it's a great time for the youngsters, Mr. Bartell. They black their faces, throng the streets, begging for pennies, and build bonfires in which to burn effigies of Guy Fawkes. These effigies are life-size dummies, stuffed with straw and dressed in old clothes. 
The children parade them in the streets chanting rhymes. Well, now, let me see. Please to remember the 5th of November. Guy Fox Guy, hit him in the eye. <laughs> the kids must have quite a time. Sort of like um, Halloween, huh, Doc? Yes, not unlike it, my boy. Well, now that I've told you something about the customs of Guy Fox Day, I'll get on with my story. It began just before lunch, I remember, on November the 5th, 1899. The day was foggy and cold, and Holmes and I were seated each side of a blazing fire in our Baker Street rooms. From outside, we could hear the sound of voices laughing and singing. Suddenly, Holmes rose and crossed to the window, opened it, and looked out. Then he turned to me and spoke. Children having a great time, Watson, aren't they? Yes, it cost me a shilling worth of pennies to, to walk here this morning. Has it occurred to you, Watson, that the gunpowder plot offers very promising material to the speculative mind? In what way, Holmes? I say it's confoundedly chilly in here. Don't you think you might uh, shut that window? Sorry, old chap. As I was saying, the gunpowder plot offers very promising material to the speculative mind. I made something of a study of the historical records of the case. There is more than a little evidence to suggest that King James was never in any real danger. Never in any danger? Well, what makes you say that? Knowledge of the proposed dastardly scheme came to light early. But James Stuart, King of England, the possessor of a shrewd and diabolical mind, used the spectacular discovery of the plot to try and bolster his waning popularity as well as to justify increased religious persecutions. Well, that's the first I've heard of it, Holmes. I dare say, old fellow, but it's true just the same. I'm afraid James Stewart, King of England, was an unscrupulous tyrant. Come in. Oh, yes, Mrs. Hudson? There was a gentleman to see you, Mr. Holmes. He said it was very important. He asked me to give you his card. Oh, thank you, Mrs. Hudson. Oh. Ask him to come up, please, will you? Aye, sir. Who is it, Holmes? A gentleman with a remarkably fine sense of timing... Read his card for yourself. Let's have a look. Mr. James Stewart. Great Scott, that's, that's an extraordinary coincidence that he should arrive just as we're talking about James Stewart, King of England. Come in. Mr. James Stewart. How do you do, Mr. Stewart? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and this is my colleague, Dr. Watson. How do you do, sir? How do you do? Mr. Holmes, you've got to help me. I'm walking about in mortal fear of my life. You've got to help me. Uh, Mr. Stewart, I suggest that you sit down. I'll do anything in my power to help you, but you must compose yourself first and tell me quietly what it is that's frightening you. How can I compose myself when I may be dead within a few hours? No, 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 Mr. Stewart. I'm a doctor. I really think if I were to give you a sedative that you'd find... How can you talk of sedatives when I... <gasps> my heart. Doctor. <gasps> my heart. All right, it's all right. Now, here, let me help you into the sofa. There you are now. Imagine that brandy would be Yes, Holmes, and I'll give him some digitalis. A fellow with a bad heart like this shouldn't allow himself to get so excited. Here you are, Mr. Stewart. Drink this. That's it. That's it. And now this, Mr. Stewart. What is it? It's digitalis. Uh, very well. Yeah, now. Feel better, sir? Yes, Mr. Holmes. Yes, I do. Uh, you're right. I shouldn't get so excited. My heart can't stand it, you know. Watson, is he well enough to talk, do you think? Yes, if he doesn't excite himself again. I'll be careful, Doctor. I'll take it quietly. Uh, Mr. Holmes, when you saw my card just now, did it strike any responsive chord? <laughs> Naturally, sir. Who could fail to be intrigued when a James Stewart calls to see one on Guy Fawkes Day? Uh, it isn't just coincidence that my name is James Stewart. I've got royal blood in my veins. People know of it. 
And that's another reason they're out to kill me. They're jealous of my heritage. Every instinct I have is a royal one. Uh, no, you gentlemen know that falconry is a king's sport. And my greatest hobby is the breeding and the training uh, of Mr. falcons. Mr. Stewart, please, Mr. Stewart. Owing to the state of your health, I suggest that you be as economical as possible in your explanation. In fact, I think it might be better if I were to question you. Uh, very well, Mr. Holmes. Now, you say that your life is in danger. What evidence do you have to substantiate that claim? Uh, my cousin, Guy Falconby, has threatened it. Uh, you see, Mr. Holmes, he and I are the only heirs to a wealthy uncle. His fortune will go to the surviving heir. If I were dead, Guy would inherit everything. It seems to me, Mr. Stewart, that you should have applied to Scotland Yard for protection. I did, Dr. Watson. Only a few days ago, I saw a certain inspector, uh, Lestrade, I think his name was, and he laughed at my fears. Oh, Lestrade. <laughs> and he laughed, did he? Well, then in that case, there may be something in your story, sir. <laughs> You say that your cousin has threatened to kill you. Has he indicated the method he intends to employ? Aye, uh, he has. And it's a devilish plot. Guy has a bitter, twisted sense of humor, gentlemen, even when he's planning as dastardly a thing as a murder. I am James Stewart. He is Guy Falkenby, which is near enough to Guy Fox. Today is the 5th of November, and he's planning to blow me up. <laughs> oh, come, 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 sir. You can't expect us to believe that. <laughs> but it's true. He warned me. Uh, and the celebrations that are going on in the streets of London today would make a rare clock for his activities. Uh, I must confess, Mr. Stewart, that I find your story most unconvincing. All your evidence appears to depend on conversations held between you and this cousin of yours. You have no facts, sir, to substantiate your claims. But I have. Then please let us hear them. I live at 23 Cavendish Square. A week ago, the house next door to me was let to a new tenant. Almost immediately, workmen became very active there. They were digging in the cellars, Mr. Holmes. I could hear the sounds of picks and shovels through the walls. Digging in the cellars? That does sound significant, doesn't it, Holmes? Extremely. Did you observe any other activities of the workmen, Mr. Stewart? Aye, Mr. Holmes. Vans have been delivering large packing cases to the basement during the last two days. Mm -hmm. I know what's in them, too. It's gunpowder. I tell you, they're planning to blow me up today. No, 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 no. Steady, sir. Steady, steady, steady. You mustn't excite yourself again. What shall I do, Mr. Holmes? I think, sir, it would be better for you to rest here for a while and then go to a nearby hotel. I would suggest the uh, Shaftesbury. And wait there until you hear from us. And where are you gentlemen going? Watson and I, after donning suitable disguises, will visit the house adjoining yours in Cavendish Square. I think an examination of the cellar there might prove most illuminating. <laughs> Must be the house, all right, Holmes. The empty packing cases are still by the foot of the basement steps. Come on, Watson. Let's go down and explore. Pardon my soul. I, I feel a little self-conscious in these clothes. No need to, my dear chap. You look a most authentic inspector of plumbing. <laughs> if anyone challenges us, uh, you'd better let me do the talking, though. I think my accent might be a little more convincing. Shh. Listen. I can't hear anything. Exactly then we may reasonably assume that either the workmen are observing the Guy Fawkes holiday or that their work is done. Come on, let's try this door. It's unlocked. Yes. Huh. This is too easy, Watson. We must be prepared for a trap. Come on. I've got my revolver handy if there's, if there's any trouble. I don't use it until I tell you to. Remember, we're supposed to be plumbing inspectors. It's pitch black in here. I can't see a thing. 
Strike a match. See if you can find a gas jet. Strike a match when the cellar may be full of gunpowder. Don't take the risk, old chap. Uh, Here's a gas jet. I light it. That's better. Now we can see a little. Uh Uh-huh. I think the workmen have completed their job. See that new wood forming a crude door in the corner over there? Where does it lead to, do you suppose? Let's find out. Oh, also unlocked. And here's a miner's lantern, waiting conveniently for us on this ledge. Oh, this is ridiculously easy. Now I'm sure it's a trap. I like the lantern. Great Scott, it's a tunnel. Yes, it's a tunnel leading into Mr. Stewart's house next door. Let's explore it. Look, Holmes. Look at the barrels. I bet they're full of gunpowder. Undoubtedly. We'll observe the fuses as well. Yes, the complete equipment for another gunpowder plot. I can't believe my eyes. What a fantastic plan. But how could the murderer be certain that Stuart would be killed in the explosion? I think that's easily answered, Watson. Remember Mr. Stuart's bad heart? In his present state of apprehension, an exploding firecracker would be enough to kill him. Oh, I suppose so. Hello? Hello? What's this lying on the floor? Curious? It's a funny strip of silk with a little ring on the end. Let me see it, Watson. Aha. Uh-huh. This seems to be familiar. By Jove! I believe it's a Jess. A Jess? What no, sir? The last piece of evidence necessary to confirm the conclusion... Come out be... of there! And keep your hands above your heads! I've got a revolver! Right, you Governor. We ain't doing no harm. Now, remember, Watson. I'll do the talking. come. Well, well. You're a comical-looking pair. What are you doing in there? Uh, me and my mate got a message to come over here and see to the plumbing, mister. Plumbers, eh? You have any identification? Yes, sir. Here's my badge. We're inspectors for the London County Council. Oh, that's all right, my man. I saw the basement door open and I, I thought burglars might be here. <laughs> You're the owner of this house, sir? Yes, but my agent let it recently to some tenants who've been behaving rather queerly, I'm told. So I came round here to see what was happening. Uh, If you're the owner, sir, perhaps you can give me some uh, facts for me records. Got to fill me records, you know. What do you want to know? Well, your name, please, sir. Falconby. Guy Falconby. Uh, Look here. uh, Alfie. Alfie, uh, hold your nose. What did he say? Uh, Nothing, sir, nothing. He's got bad hiccups. Had him for, well, had him for months now. Can't stop him. Alfie, here, give me a pencil, will you? Thank you, Alf. Now, sir, your name is Guy Falconby. Uh, What's the name of the, uh, the tenant? This house is let to. There are three of them. Oh, do you know their names, sir? Got to have them for me records, you see. Yes, the names are Winter, Rokewood, and Keynes. Uh, I... Oh, yes. Uh, Winter, Rokewood, and Keynes. That's right, sir. <laughs> Sounds as if they might be a firm of solicitors, don't they, sir? Well, perhaps they are. I haven't met them. Uh, just one more question, sir, and then I needn't bother you no more. Well, what is it, my religion or my grandmother's maiden name? <laughs> no, sir, no, nothing like that. I just wondered who lived in the house next door on that side. We've had a complaint from there, too. Their pipes is bunged up. My cousin lives there. His name's James Stewart. Mr. James Stewart, eh? Oh, much obliged, sir. Me and my mate will be going next door, then. Come on, Alfie. I'm not surprised his pipes are bunged up, as you so graphically put it. He's a great one for practical jokes about the house. As a matter of fact, he's planning one of them tonight. Uh, Oh, well, that's no concern of yours. By the way, my man, what's your name? Uh, Nivet, sir. Tom Nivet. Come on, Alfie. We've got work to do. (laughs) 
you tell me what's going on? Why have we taken this cab back to Baker Street? Get out of these clothes. They've served their purpose. Now there's more serious work afoot. Well, I'm still confused about our interview with Guy Falkenberg. Why did you say your name was Tom Nivett? What touch of vanity, old fellow. Vanity? How do you mean? Well, consider the names in this case so far, Watson. James Stewart says that he's been threatened by Guy Falkenberg. A name, as Mr. Stewart points out, not unlike Guy Fawkes. Do you recall the names of the three tenants that Mr. Falkenberg gave us a few minutes ago? Yes, Winter, Rokewood, and Keynes. But what's that got to do with it? A great deal, my dear fellow. Thomas Winter, Ambos Rokewood, and Robert Keynes were the three men executed with Guy Fawkes in the original gunpowder plot in 1605. Good Lord, but where does Tom Nivett, the, the name you gave yourself, fit into the fixture? Thomas Nivett was the Westminster magistrate who arrested the conspirators. Since the would-be murderer has such an academic knowledge of the original plot, I thought I'd let him know that he was up against an opponent worthy of his steel. We'll hear the rest of Dr. Watson's story in just a few seconds. Just about time for me to remind you that if you want a wine that's sure to please the ladies, you can't miss with Petri California Muscatel. That's because Petri Muscatel is a golden wine with one of the most luscious flavors you ever tasted. Did you ever taste a big, plump Muscat grape that's ripened in the sun? If you have, then you know what to expect when you taste Petri Muscatel. It's a wonderful wine. Perfect after dinner and swell when company comes. Just remember that, won't you? Petri Muscatel. Well, Doctor, you and Mr. Holmes were certainly having yourselves quite a Guy Fawkes day. Uh, what happened when you got back to Baker Street? We quickly changed out of our disguises and back into our ordinary clothes. I was still pretty much in the dark, as usual. And I kept questioning Holmes as to our, as to our next move. He was in a state of suppressed excitement. And it was obvious as he spoke to me that he was anxious to be off. What? Don't dawdle. There's so much work ahead of us. What do you mean, don't dawdle? I'm not dawdling. I'm just as fast as I can. What's our next move, anyway? Well, we must split our forces. Let's get hold of my band of street urchins, the Baker Street Irregulars. I'm going to surround Mr. Stewart's house in Cavendish Square, and they'll be invaluable for that purpose. Well, what do you want me to do? Go to the Shaftesbury Hotel and collect Mr. Stewart, then return with him to his house and wait me there. I shall join you as soon as I've rounded up the Irregulars, but I must warn you, don't leave Mr. Stewart for a moment. Don't let him out of your sight until you see me again. Of course I won't, Holmes, but, uh, well, uh, I must say, the idea of all that gunpowder in the cellar doesn't make me feel any oh, too happy. have faith in me, old chap. Have huh? faith in me. You know, I wouldn't expose you to any danger if I could avoid it. And I assure you that I shall join you and Mr. Stewart very shortly. You have your revolver? Yes, of course. Good. And, uh, give Mr. Stewart this revolver, will you? Tell him that I insist that he carries it. I fear that his own has probably been tempered with. Right, you are, Holmes. I'll see that he has it. This is a strange business, I must say. That guy Falkenberg seemed such a decent sort of fellow. Yes, he appeared to be a most amiable fellow, didn't he? This is indeed an unusual case, Watson. We're up against one of the most sinister and twisted antagonists that we've ever met. Well, old chap, I'm leaving now. I'll join you soon. And don't forget, stay close to Mr. Stewart. Stay very close to him. Dr. Watson, I wish your friend were here. No, 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 don't get so excited, Mr. Stewart. 
He'll be here any moment now. You've still got the revolver that I gave you? Yes, it's in my pocket. But what's the good of a revolver if there should be an explosion? Answer me that if you can. Now, now, you must have faith in Mr. Holmes, sir. He's arranging now to have this house of yours surrounded by his band of street urchins. They'll see that no one gets to the cellar next door to light the fuses. A bunch of children. How can they do anything? Uh, You don't know the Baker Street Irregulars, Mr. Stewart. And it's a perfect day for them to operate. As black-faced boys begging for pennies, they'd pass unnoticed anywhere. I hope you're right. But I have a premonition, Doctor. There's going to be a tragedy. I know it. Now, take it easy, sir. Remember your heart. You're in splendid hands when Sherlock Holmes is on the case. Here he is now. Holmes, I say, I'm glad to see you. You received your visitor yet? Visitor? We've seen no one. Then be on the alert. I've just been questioning the boys surrounding this house. A few moments ago, some children pulled a small cart up to the back door. A cart containing a life-sized dummy. My irregulars thought that it was an effigy on its way to a bonfire. Oh, why shouldn't it be, Holmes? I have reason to believe that it's someone visiting you in disguise, Mr. Stewart. A visitor who is mounting the back stairs at this very moment. <laughs> You've got to stand by me, Holmes. You've got to protect Don't me. Don't worry, sir. I... Come in. Look! Look at that apparition! Great Scott! A Guy Fawkes dummy. A, a dark lantern in his hand and... And it's walking. And also talking, I trust. Keep away from me. I got a revolver. Fate for victorious fate. If you won't give me one, I'll take two. The better for me and the worse for you. It's Guy Falkenberg. Keep away from me, do you hear? The better for me and the worse for you. All right, then. I'm going to fire. Yeah, me, Mr. Stewart, the revolver I've provided for you seems to be unloaded. How very odd. Well, what in fun is all this about? We've just witnessed an attempted murder, Watson. Murder? What are you talking about? This is a game. James and I had it arranged, the whole thing. You may have thought it was a game, Mr. Falkenberg, but I assure you that your... Co- Grab Mr. Stewart, Watson. He seems to be leaving us. Leave me alone. Take your hands off me. I... Ah, 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 my heart. Here, help. Oh, help me put him on the sofa. Oh, oh. That's it. Oh. I'll get him some digitalis. Look, I don't want to appear unnecessarily stupid, but will someone tell me what this is all about? With pleasure, Mr. Falkenby. Your cousin had planned one of the most fantastic murder plots that I've ever encountered. He came to us with the story that you had threatened his life. But that's ridiculous. I'm very fond of him. Of course it's ridiculous. The whole plot was ridiculous. He leased the house next door, had a tunnel dug, and gunpowder and fuses planted there. He even entered the name of the tenants as Winter, Rokewood, and Keynes to get the apparent plot a further authenticity. You mean my cousin was the real tenant? Certainly he was. However, he was clumsy enough to drop that uh, piece of silk with the wire ring on the end that you found in the cellar, Watson. The thing you called a jest. And what's a jest? It's a strap that goes round a falcon's leg to which its leash is fastened. You will remember that Mr. Stewart informed us that falconry is his hobby. And it therefore indicated that he had been in the cellar and consequently must have known about the whole plot. And all he was trying to do was to build up in our minds the belief that his cousin was trying to kill him. Exactly, my dear fellow. Had we believed him, of course, he could have shot you just now, Mr. Falkenby, in apparent self-defense. Good Lord, what a fantastic plot. I I still can't quite believe it. Mr. Falkenby, why are you dressed as a Guy Fawkes dummy? Well, it was James's idea. He said that that he was going to to dress up too and that we were to go round the bonfires tonight and frighten people by by appearing as live dummies. But the last message he sent told me to come up here, that that we'd play a practical joke on a couple of friends of his. And did he provide you with the costume that you're wearing? Yes, as a matter of fact, he did. Have you searched the pockets for any weapons? No, but I will. All right, and while you're doing that, I'll examine this dark lantern. How's your patient, Watson? Well, I've given him some digitalis. Uh, now, I'll get him some brandy. I can't find anything in the pockets. Here's the answer, my friends. Look here. Inside the lantern is a dagger. 
Your cousin planted it there to substantiate the claim that you were trying to kill him. Had his plans worked, you would have been dead, Mr. Falkenby, before you could have told us the truth. Here, come back here, Mr. Stewart. Jane! He slipped out of the Confound door. Confound it! He's making the heart attack. Come on, what's not him? Here comes the Lord Mayor of London, chums. Excuse me, please. I'm trying to find a friend of mine. Most important. Holmes, where are you? Can I hear my son? I hear you calling me. Out of the way, please. I'm coming, Holmes. Why don't you send your postcard? You you got away from me in the crowd. Got away from us. Well, we'll never find him in this mark. Dr. Walfler is a dangerous man. There's no knowing what he may do. Where are your regulars? Ah, there's Wiggins. Wiggins? Hello, Mr. Holmes. Wiggins. Dr. Watkins. Did you see a man run out of that house a few minutes ago? No, Governor. Perhaps Charlie did. Hey, Charlie, come over here a minute. It's Mr. Holmes. All right. I bet Charlie didn't see anything, though. He's got some stubby girl with him. Hello, Mr. Holmes and Dr. Watson. Hello, Charlie. Hello, Charlie. Did you see a man run through this crowd a few minutes ago? A tallish man with a gray mustache? Yes, I did. A man came running out of the house over there. That's the house. Where'd he go? He ran down toward where the shops are. And he's still out doing, he did. The one we are going to burn in the bonfire. I tried to stop him, but he got away. Holmes, Holmes, look up there on the roof. There's a figure. By Joe, I believe it's James Stewart. That's the man. He's the one that stole our dummy. He's standing up on the roof. He's going to jump. If he does, he's going to line in the bonfire. There he goes. He is jumping. <coughs> right into the middle of the fire. It's awful. He'll be burned to death. Don't worry, Wiggins. There wasn't a man who fell into the bonfire. What do you mean? From the gyrations that the figure performed as it fell, my dear Watson, I'm convinced that Mr. Stewart threw the stolen dummy to try and put us off the track. Then Stewart's still up there. He is, Watson. Come along, old boy. It's up on the rooftops for us. Up on the rooftops. Here, Watson, let me help you up. Can you reach my hand? Yeah, I got it. All right, then, up you come. Come on. Up. That's it. Phew. Seems to me that fire escapes must be designed for, for giants. Keep your eyes skinned, old fellow. Stuart's a dangerous man. Might be hiding behind those chimney stacks. Come on. Upon my soul, this is a strange place to be on Guy Fawkes' night. Yes, a comprehensive case, Watson. Starts in a cellar and ends on a rooftop. Look, Holmes. By the parapet there. The crumpled body of Mr. Stewart. Looks to me as if it... Yeah. He's dead, Holmes. Well, it's not surprising. The effort of carrying the dummy up here and throwing it, combined with his own state of excitement, were too much for him. Well, quite frankly, I can't say that I'm sorry. No, he planned a murder. If it hadn't been for you, he would have succeeded. An extraordinary case, Holmes. Yes, old chap, and one that should long make us remember the 5th of November. By Joe, yes. Please to remember the 5th of November. Gunpowder treason and plot. I see no reason why gunpowder treason should ever be forgotten. Well, Doctor, as you boys would say, that story was a bit of exciting, what? Yes, and even now I sort of lose my breath. 
When I remember climbing that fire escape. You know, Doctor, those two fellas certainly went out of their way to celebrate Guy Fawkes Day. Now, take me. When I got a little celebrating to do, I, well, I like to do it quietly. Some friends, a glass of port. Yeah, Petri port, of course. What else? <laughs> Leave it to you. No matter what the occasion is, you can somehow make it a perfect occasion for Petri wine. How do you do it, old fellow? <laughs> Don't ask me how I do it. You mean, how does the Petri family do it? How can they make such swell wine? Well, the answer is experience. The Petri family has been making fine wine for generations. And ever since they first established the Petri business way back in the 1800s, they've handed on down from father to son, from father to son, the fine art of turning luscious, sun-ripened California grapes into fragrant, delicious wine. That's why when you want a wine for any occasion, before dinner, with your meals, or after dinner, you can't go wrong with a Petri wine... Because Petri took time to bring you good wine. And now, Dr. Watson, what Sherlock Holmes adventure are you going to tell us next week? An old favorite, Mr. Bartell, a story that concerns strange music that was heard in a lonely house in the English countryside, and of the living death that stalked there. I call it The Adventure of the Speckled Band. <laughs> Tonight's Sherlock Holmes adventure is written by Dennis Green and Anthony Boucher and was suggested by an incident in this Arthur Conan Doyle story, The Adventure of the Devil's Foot. Music was by Dean Fossler. Mr. Rathbone appears through the courtesy of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer and Mr. Bruce through the courtesy of Universal Pictures, where they are now starring in the Sherlock Holmes series. The Petri Wine Company of San Francisco, California, invites you to tune in again next week, same time, same station. This is Harry Bartell saying goodnight for the Petri family. Sherlock Holmes comes to you from our Hollywood studio. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome back. Mr. Stewart learned the hard way that having a stressful murder plan with a bad heart is a really awful idea. You should contact a physician before beginning any program of criminal enterprise. Of course, most know that their doctors would tell them not to do it, particularly if their doctor was John Watson. It's always great to hear Basil Rathbone, and he also has some fun as the plumbing inspector. As he'd been playing the role for six years on radio, the parts in disguise or reciting different famous lines gave him a bit of uh, variety in his performance that he appreciated, as he was getting a bit burnt out on the role at this point. Uh, this episode does a great job of not only laying down the particulars of the Guy Fox plot, but also some really nice details of the holiday, so that the 1945 listener uh, was transported to Britain and really given a vivid uh, audio picture of what the holiday was like. It had a number of tie-ins to the holiday that were fun and might have stretched believability if they weren't part of James Stewart's 
sinister yet eccentric plot. This episode's information is also helpful uh, in our context uh, because the next episode doesn't have quite as much background on the holiday. Though, to be fair, it wasn't centered on the holiday as much as it was Guy Fox himself and some contemporary admirers of Guy Fox. The series was airing over the Mutual Network after a single season on ABC, but at this time it was originating from New York with the stars as John Stanley, as Sherlock Holmes, and George Spelvin, credited as Dr. Watson. This episode originally aired October the 10th, 1948, and the title is The Guy Fox Society. From New York City, the makers of Clipper Craft Clothes for Men and more than 1,200 leading retail stores from coast to coast presents Sir Arthur Conan Doyle's immortal character, the world's most famous detective... Sherlock Holmes, starring John Stanley. This week's adventure, the Guy Fawkes Society. Robert Holmes, you're running an unspeakable risk. Can't you allow the police to handle this themselves? No, Watson, I must be there myself. Well, shouldn't you take along a revolver, a weapon of some sort? I think not. They might decide to examine everyone entering the warehouse. No, I shall attend the secret meeting of this bloodthirsty society, accompanied only by my second closest friend, my Mersham Piper. We're at the door of Dr. John Watson's study, and we're about to hear another of his adventures. Fabulous Sherlock Holmes. Oh, good evening, Mr. Hannah. Good evening, Dr. Watson. Uh, have you assembled all the facts for the memoir you're currently writing, Dr. Watson? Yes, Mr. Harris. It's the adventure of the Guy Fawkes Society. Guy Fawkes? You mean the arch-conspirator of 17th century? The very same. Well, what sort of organization was the society? Well, it was a secret cult formed in 1897. Their membership consisted entirely of fanatics devoted to one of the most horrifying purposes imaginable. And what was their purpose? Well, I shall reveal the incredible secret of the appropriate times to happen. Uh, but now it would seem as the appropriate time for a word about those remarkable Clippercraft clothes. So it is, Doctor. Let me paint a little word picture of you in the fine local store that sells Clippercraft clothes. Look expensive, don't they? But you try on a Clippercraft suit anyway. Feel comfortable? Okay. Now you walk over to the mirror. Might as well admit it, you do look like a million, and you're thinking, this will really smash my budget. And then you look at the price. I just can't be true. But it is only 40 or 47.50, depending on the Clippercraft model you prefer. How can it be? Well, more than 1,200 of America's finest independent stores from coast to coast have put their combined purchasing power into action to save you money. It's the reason only 47.50 buys you a smart Clippercraft suit of worsted fabric that can take the hardest wear you'll give. Yes, for suits, top coats, and sport coats, you'll find Clippercraft values at the head of the class. Compare Clippercraft with clothes selling for many dollars more. And now, Dr. Watson, what was the Guy Fawkes Society? Well, Mr. Harris, it was the beginning of November 1897. 
Holmes and I were returning to 221B Baker Street after a late dinner. We were enveloped in unprecedented yellow fog. We were groping our way up the stairs toward our flat. Have you the key, Watson? Yes, here we are. If I can find the lock, I... There's something on the floor. Kicked it with my foot. Well, I'll see if I can budge it out of the way. Holmes, it feels like a body. Matt Watson. Yeah, right. Good heavens, Holmes, it's a man. His throat's been cut. Will you look at this pool of blood? Like that lamp, Watson. Yes, certainly, certainly. Yes. His throat's been split from ear to ear. Look, Holmes, on the wall. There's handwriting. Someone's evidently dipped his finger in the dead man's blood and scrawled a message. Yes, it says, Guy Forks lives. Guy Forks lives? Now, what sort of diabolical nonsense is that? Shall I fetch the police home? In due course, we shall observe that <coughs> technicality. Have a closer look at the court. Uh, what's that in his hand? Is that, is that a chunk of wood? Pine wood, Watson. Uh, look, there's some sort of grease at the tip of the wood. And the odor, Watson, I say it's oil. What uh, is you suppose he was going to do with a chunk of wood dipped in oil? Clearly, the dead man was preparing a torch. Torch? That's a stuff. Why should anyone want to be marching about with a torch? The weather about which you've been complaining throughout the evening supplies the answer to that result. You mean the fog? The unbelievably thick fog, Watson. The torch, coupled with the fog, signifies that the dead man lying before us was a dink boy. Dink boy. Yes, I've heard the term. Can't say I've ever seen one. The venerable tradition originates from the days when it was necessary to accompany members of Parliament home due to the danger of their being attacked by thieves and dissenters and riffraff. Of course, the custom has been abandoned, except for those rare occasions when London suffers an impossible fog. Then the link boys with their torches are called out to escort the parliamentarians homeward. Anything in his pocket? Uh, mm -hmm. This man's torch hasn't been used. He was therefore on his way to perform his duty. Come, Watson, we're off to see the sergeant at arms of the parliament building. We shall ask the name of the link boy who failed to appear this evening. You intend to leave the body here, just like this? Of course, but I shall mention it to the first policeman we meet. And thanks to the nature of bureaucratic ineptitude... We shall be many steps ahead of them while they are still here scribbling in their little notebook. <laughs> we certainly had the sergeant at arms in Parliament baffled, <laughs> asking all those questions about the link boy without ever telling him what it was all about, eh? <laughs> Let's see now, Holmes. Let's see, we've learned that the dead man's name was held picnic. Mrs. Hudson admitted him downstairs that uh, Pickering asked for you. She saw him go out. Uh, two other gentlemen appeared at the front door a moment later. Uh, one of them misshapen and very ugly. Uh, she saw them go out. She then went back inside to her rooms and heard and saw nothing after that. Uh, until the police arrived. Then we... Uh, Holmes, what are you doing with your face? Sponging it. With what, what for? I must assume a disreputable appearance. Doctor. You must assume what? There we are. Now, off to this piece of an interesting pattern thing. Unfortunately, you cannot accompany me on this grotesque mission, Watson. Where are you going? You'll recall that at Parliament we were told that the dead man, Pickering, resided on Bridge Road by the West India Dock. We were also told that he spent a considerable portion of his time at various pubs in that vicinity. I intend to visit every shabby spot on Bridge Road. But why the disguise? I hope to learn what it was that Mr. Pickering wished to tell me when he came here. Obviously, it was something so insidious that it was necessary to cut his throat before he had a chance to talk. I shall visit the pest holes of Bridge Road. I shall be very vocal about loathing the government.
were never in here before, were you? That's quite right. Uh, do you mind if I sit down with you? You look kind of lonesome. I like to make friends with everybody who comes in. Do you like this place? Very much. It's the best around this part of London. Which are the other places? Yes, this is my fourth tavern tonight. My name's Nor. Nor Peter. What's yours? Like so many of your customers, Maud, I must ask you to accept a significant silence in answer to that question. Now, you've a fancy way of talking. Did you hear me sing? Yes. Delightful. Uh, aren't you going to tell me anything about yourself? Where'd you come from? What's your game? Anything's my game, Maud. Why do you keep watching the door? Look, you can trust Maud. Everyone will tell you that. The police looking for you? They might be. What sort of job did you do? Suppose we just say that it was unpatriotic. Is that all you're going to tell me? Yes, suffice it that it was unpatriotic. I have very little use for our current government. I'm one of those who feels that England, once master of the planet, is collapsing of its own weight. Ah, oh, you sound just like him. Like who? Oh, a friend of mine. He always talks that way. He'd like you. You talk like you've got brains. You'd be helpful. Helpful? To whom? For what purpose? Did you say anything's your game? I did. Would murder be your game? If it were worth the candle? I don't mean just taking care of some blokes in a dark alleyway with a pocket knife. We can find plenty around here to do that for a few pounds or a few drinks. I'm talking about murder in a much bigger way. I mean killing a few hundred people, maybe a thousand. You have the stomach for that? If there's sufficient to be gained, I'm your man. Oh, there's more than money in it. Is there? Mm, much, much more. It's a wonderful thing. And there's a wonderful man running it. You and he did it all fine. Why don't you introduce me to the gentleman? Maybe I will. He wants all the help he can find. Yes, you come along with me. There's just a minute's walk from here, close by the dock. There's a basement under an empty warehouse. It's a good quarter. Who's born? He's the leader of the Sky Hawk Society. <laughs> Now. It's about time. I might catch my death of cold sitting here waiting in this damp basement. He's in the next room. Now, just go through that door. Here, you better take my candle. It's dark as pitch. Thank you. Oh, well, uh, I'm tell you, you may think he's a bit barmy at first. He says strange things sometimes, but that's just his way. He's really brilliant. And don't be frightened by Gerardo. Gerardo? Uh, Gerardo's the leader's man. He's sort of his bodyguard and secretary. <laughs> Gerardo's the ugliest man I've ever seen. Most of his face is burnt off in that fire. Oh, but he won't ask me. I'll wait out here. Go on through that door. Very well. Come in. Come in. I am Geraldo. How do you do? Before I introduce you to our leader, would you raise your hand? Higher, please. You do not have a gun or a knife, I hope. No, I have not. I just want to be sure. Any formality. <laughs> I have the honor to introduce our leader. Sit out. Sit out, Mr. But Mr. Get Lord. out! Yes, sir. Lord tells me that you wish to join our ranks. Possibly. I don't know anything about you. 
I could be rather verbose about you, though. Yes, sir? You're extremely nervous, vain, and have spent a great deal of time outside of England. To be more specific, in a tropical country. How do you know? Those pencils on your desk chewed almost to the point of uselessness. The restless way you pace up and down before me. The nervousness is inescapable. As for your vanity, you're squinting your eyes in order to have a better view of me, a characteristic of nearsightedness. You require spectacles, but do not wear them. You've spent a sizable portion of your life in tropical countries because your teeth have a distinctive corrosion caused by endless munching upon sugar cane. <laughs> good. Very good. Maybe more than I I have need of men with their wits about them. Ours is a fantastic, a bloody and dangerous task. But the reward will be well worth the sacrifice. What is the task, Mr. Stewart? What I can say may sound fantastic, but the truth is often very shocking. My name is Douglas Stewart. My genealogy may be traced to the Stewart who once ruled my England. Really? You don't seem to believe it. Well, I... It's the truth, it's the truth, it's the truth. It's true that I am the rightful ruler of the British Empire. I've been cheated of my birthright. Have you? They trotted against me. The impostors who sit now upon my throne, they trotted against me. When I went to the my training, they accused me of being insane. They are nothing but animals wallowing in the sky of their wealth and privilege. They must be exterminated. They held me prisoner. Oh? Where, Mr. Stewart? On what charge? They held me prisoner in a hospital for a year, a hospital for the mentally ill. When were you released? I was not released. They would have kept me there until I died. They tortured me. I escaped. I escaped. Now I'm free. And I shall strike back. What is your plan, Mr. I'm Stewart? not well. They made me sick in that hospital. They infected me with drugs. I'm not well. But I need... I need men of strength to surround me. What is your plan, Mr. Stewart? Those who have marched with me will tear my inevitable triumph. Marched with you? Where? When? They are known. As the guy can you imagine why? Hmm. Quite evident. Uh, Guy Fox, a deserter, was smuggled back into England by a group of conspirators in 1605. Yes, yes. They plotted to overthrow James II and his government. Overthrow it. They planned to do this by concealing a huge store of gunpowder beneath both houses <laughs> of Parliament. Yes. They intended to blow up both houses and stage a coup d'etat. Ah. Their plan was exposed. And on November the 4th of 1605, they were captured and imprisoned. I dare say... You have revived the Guy Fawkes plan. Yes, yes, I have. Guy Fawkes is just 48 hours away. We've dug secret tunnels in the proper places. In just 48 hours, Guy Fawkes' plan to blow up Parliament, its members, and the royal family will become a reality. Well, Dr. Watson... Mr. Holmes has uncovered a breathtaking scheme. Yes, he certainly has, Mr. Harris. And you've provided me with just the word I've been seeking. Well, what word is that? Breathtaking is the word for Clippercraft clothes, subject on which you're well qualified to speak, sir. Won't you? Thank you, Dr. Watson. Men who used to spend small fortunes on their clothes are now wearing expensive-looking Clippercraft suits because Clippercraft gives them all the handsome looks and long, dependable wear they demand without digging deep into their savings. Why, they pay only forty and forty-seven fifty for a Clippercraft suit you'd swear cost twice as much. Really fine fabrics and top-notch tailoring are unheard of at prices as low as Clippercraft. Then what's the trick? 
Well, what do you suppose happens when more than 1,200 of this country's finest independent stores from coast to coast, stores you can trust, concentrate their huge buying power? You're absolutely right. Their combined purchasing power drastically cuts the cost of manufacturing and distribution. Doesn't take an adding machine to figure out how Clippercraft's unique operation saves you money. Or why Clippercraft suits are such terrific values at only 40 and 47 fifty. That's why men who know insist on Clippercraft clothes. So be sure to visit the Clippercraft store in your city. These leading stores in the metropolitan area are proud to add their names to Clippercraft in your suits, top coats, and sport jackets. In Manhattan, Saks 34th, Broadway at 34th. John Wanamaker Men's Store is Broadway at 8th and 67 Liberty Street. In Brooklyn, Abraham and Strauss. In Newark, New Jersey, Boulevard Men's Shop, Presby, Newark. And in Jamaica, the B&B Clothes Shop, 16408 Jamaica Avenue. Now shall we return to the Guy Fawkes Society, Dr. Watson? We most certainly shall, Mr. Harris. Holmes left the dank, dirty cellar where he'd held his bizarre rendezvous with Douglas Stewart. He returned to 221B Baker Street and recapitulated his experience for him. Good gracious, Holmes. A plan to blow up both houses of Parliament. I can hardly believe it. Shall we inform Scotland Yard of your discovery? Not just yet, Watson. Impetuosity is a trap into which we must not fall. If the police should intervene at this point, Stuart and his vile henchmen would simply protest their innocence and elude justice. They must be captured with the evidence. Ah, I see. You're waiting to determine their plan of operation. Uh, then you'll strike. Exactly. And I shall have that information this evening when the entire membership of the society convenes. In that same waterfront spot where the renegade Stuart has his headquarters. As a neophyte, I've been invited to attend their ritual. Well, Holmes, haven't they questioned you about your own reliability? Extensively. <laughs> I imagine Gerardo was impressed, eh? Quite. Therefore, I'm off to the foul cellar where the chief lieutenants of the Guy Fawkes Society meet in unholy conclave. I see you've joined us. I'm glad. Are you, Maud? Douglas, tell me that he's pleased you've joined us. I appreciate the accolade. Douglas tells me everything. He does? Yes. We sit by the river talking. He tells me about what he'll give me when he's in the palace. A maid of my own, perfume, some strong. He must be very fond of you. Fond as he can be of anyone, I guess. He thinks about his plans, mostly. Sometimes he doesn't see me for weeks. Oh, it's Serrado. Wine, Mob. Thank you, Serrado. Some for you, too. Ah, Burgundy. Pomar. We do not drink until the leader enters. Then he will propose the toast. There he is. Pilot! The leader speaks. Everyone, rise. We raise our glasses in praise. In praise! To Guy Fawkes! Guy Fawkes! To his fearless crew, to Robert Tatesby! Tatesby! John Wright! Right! Thomas Winter! Winter! Quiet! Now, want each of you to pay close attention. Tunnels are ready, Gerardo? Yes, sir. Good. Those of you who are new, my most trusted men have dug tunnels. Where are the tunnels, Mr. Stewart? They work down from the back of the tea room on Parliament Square, towards tea shop. The tunnels cut across the corner of Parliament Square and point directly to the House of Lords and the House of Commons. And what do you plan to use to destroy the houses? Dynamite! Tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> night, we shall set this time for along with the rest of England. 
while they burn forks in effigy in the streets, we shall set off the dynamite. We meet at Mrs. Ward's tea shop tomorrow night at 10 o'clock. You understand exactly what you're to do, Watson. Yes, exactly, Holmes. I shall tell the story to the Assistant Commissioner of Police and a request that he send a special squad. You'd like them to hide around the corner from the tea shop, eh? Precisely. And you must try desperately to convince him that his constables are to be armed. I realize it's an extraordinary demand, but perhaps he'll sense the danger. Oh, by Jove, Holmes, he may not believe the story at all. He may not do a blessed thing. Oh, we must risk it. Remember, Stuart asked me to meet him at the warehouse. He, Gerardo, and I will then proceed to the tea shop. There we'll meet the others. At ten. If the police will co- cooperate, they should be at their post at nine. Holmes, you're running an unspeakable risk. Wouldn't it be wiser for both of us to try to convince the police to handle this themselves? Allow them to make a botch of it? No, Watson, I must be on the scene myself. Shouldn't you at least take along a revolver, a weapon of some sort? Gerardo might decide to examine everyone entering the warehouse. No, Watson, I shall merely be accompanied by my second closest friend. My Meerschaum Pipe. <laughs> Everything in readiness? Yes, yes. I have a carriage waiting outside this warehouse. We will be driven to the queue. Excellent. Stuart? We may distribute the weapons, Gerardo. Maud, you will wait here in the warehouse. When it is over, I shall send it. All right, Captain. You have my revolver, Gerardo? Yes, yes. Give it to me. And I? Oh. We're not giving you a Why not, Mr. Stuart? I would feel better if you were not armed. Mr. Sherlock Holmes? Let me kill him now, Mr. No. Stewart. No, Gerardo. Ever since his own face was burned off, Holmes, Gerardo enjoys giving the same experience to others. You lied to us, Mr. Holmes. You've been lying all along. We're not exactly fools, Holmes. That story you told Gerardo about your criminal background, we took the trouble to verify. Oh, we're going to the police. Then after we set off the dynamite, we shall leave the table. But you will remain locked inside. You lied to me, Holmes. Everyone lies to me. Stand up, Holmes. You try any trick, I'll split your throat. Just as you split Carol Pickering's The Link Boy? Yes. That was your handiwork, wasn't it, Gerardo? Pickering, with a keen professional interest in even the vaguest rumor concerning Parliament, must have taken up the scent to your society one evening, perhaps in the pub where Maud sings. He ran to me to bring the news, and you followed him. My housekeeper reported that one of the assailants was repulsively ugly. I could make you look just like me. I would like to... Get away from him, Gerardo. Come on. We're leaving for the tea. You first, And remember, I have my finger on the trigger of my gun. Maud, stay here. You'll have words for Good luck, Douglas. We're leaving now, Holmes. Not much later, because I've taken an extra precaution. Since you might have notified the police that our maneuver is scheduled for ten, I've sent out word that we will set off the dynamite one hour earlier that night. Right. Carriage is waiting. The tea room is just around the corner, Mr. Stewart. You told Mrs. Ward to lock up earlier this evening, Mr. Yes. 
well home. So you finally met someone who is your mental superior. Don't move. My gun is just a few inches from your head. Gerardo and I have a very good view of you from this back seat. Oh, I had no evil intentions in moving, Mr. Stewart. I yes. merely intended to light my pipe. It's gone out. Do you mind? Go on. Most considerate of you. Here's the theorem. Step out home. Very well. Walk to the door of the field. That's right, right. I want to have a look here on the street. See anyone? No. All quiet. Now, some of the men must be here by now. That's the store tonight. Come in. We're all in the back of the shop. Walk in, Holmes. Certainly. Close the door, Gerardo. Don't lock it. We'll have to run out once we set the fuse. Yes, yes. Let's all go to the back. gathered you here an hour earlier because we were almost betrayed. Yes. This gentleman standing before whom we took him to our ranks is Sherlock Holmes, the detective. He is to be left here just before we set off the bank. Fuses are quite long. They'll allow ample time for us to quit the shop and run a safe distance. Has the position of the dynamite been checked? Yes, ready, sir. We reassemble 30 minutes after the explosion. We meet at the well. I shall be the last man to leave. I'm reserving for myself the of knocking Mr. Holmes behind me. I'm complimented, Mr. Stewart. Are we ready? Yes, right. Light the fuses, Gerardo. I say anyone inside? This is the law. There's a carriage caught fire out here. Belong to anyone back there? The alarm, constable. Spread the alarm. What's up, Holmes? Oh, you jerking. The lamp. Holmes has smashed the lamp. Light. Come on, that's another lamp. We cannot see. The door, the door. Holmes will run to the door. Stop it. Too late. I see his shadow out there. There you go. Look. Look outside, police. Barricade that door, Gerardo. Start firing. Fire, fire, fire. Get down, get down. They have guns out there. Holmes, I never thought you'd leave that tea shop alive. Oh, I did, Watson. Oh, it's a magnificent job you've done. Stuart and Gerardo have been taken to the morgue. rest of the crew packed off to prison. You set fire to that carriage outside the shop, didn't you? Of course. I was in the front seat with the driver. He was preoccupied with his horses. Stuart and Gerardo, to keep an eye on me, purposely sat in the back. They could see most of me, but it was comparatively easy to drop a bit of hot ash from my pipe onto the upholstery. I knew that within a minute or two, the carriage would catch fire. Would attract your attention watching from the corner with the raiding party, or that of the constable on the beach. He poked his head in, sure enough. I shall never cease admiring your quick wittedness, Holmes. Neither shall I, my dear Watson. Neither shall I. Well, Dr. Watson, the Guy Fawkes Society was certainly a blood curdling experience. <laughs> Now, might we have an inkling about our adventure with Holmes for next week? Well, next week, Mr. Harris, 
I shall relate to you the adventure of Black Pete. It involves a steel harpoon, a dead pig, a proposed Arctic trip, and an advertisement for a murder. And I'm quite sure you'll enjoy it. You shall be here in your study promptly at the same time next week, Dr. Watson, for the adventure of Black Peter. The makers of Clippercraft clothes and more than 1,200 stores from coast to coast have brought you another in the new series of broadcasts featuring the world's most famous detective, Sherlock Holmes. Our stories are based upon the character Sherlock Holmes, created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, and the program is produced and directed by Basil Lockman. Sherlock Holmes is played by John Stanley, Dr. Watson by George Feldman. This week's story was written by Howard Merrill, with special music by Albert Berman. If you don't know your Clippercraft dealer, write Clippercraft, 200 Fifth Avenue, New York City. Be sure to listen next week to Sherlock Holmes in The Adventure of Black Peter. This is Cy Harris speaking for Clippercraft Clothes. This is the Mutual Broadcasting System. Welcome back. You have to love the high self-esteem of John Stanley's take on Holmes. He'll never cease admiring his own quick-wittedness. Uh, this was a sold adventure with Holmes going against a villain who took the spirit of Guy Fawkes and brought it forward nearly three centuries. But ultimately, Holmes saved the day. Listening to the 5th of November 1st helps you catch some of the little Guy Fawkes Easter eggs that end up in the Guy Fawkes Society episode. Now, you may have been wondering about the actor George Spelvin, who played uh, Watson. Now, I'll clarify that George Spelvin was not his real name. George Spelvin used to be a popular pseudonym in American theater prior to the 1970s. It wasn't like Alan Smithy, which was used by film directors who wanted to disown a film that they ended up not liking. Uh, the name George Spelvin was used for many reasons, most of them neutral in terms of the quality of the production. Uh, it could be used in a situation where a union actor wanted to work on a non-union project, and so they'd use George or Georgina Spelvin. There would also be times where an actor would double up and play two parts, and they didn't want the production to seem cheap to the audience, so they would list the second part as George Spelvin. And sometimes you would have a character who would be important, and they would be talked about, but they wouldn't appear. And you wanted to keep it a surprise to the audience that this character didn't appear, so you put the character as played by George Spelvin in the program. In this case, George Spelvin was used because the real name of the actor who played Watson was Wendell Holmes. And it was decided it would be confusing to tell the audience that Dr. Watson was played by Holmes, and thus the George Spelvin name was deployed. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's special episode, 
And if you want to hear more Sherlock Holmes, I'd encourage you to listen to our Sherlock Holmes archive. Over nearly four years, we played every circulating episode with every actor who appeared over American radio as Holmes during the golden age of radio. And you can find The Great Detectives present Sherlock Holmes wherever you download your podcast from. Thanks uh, once again to Donna Fletcher Crow for her fine introduction. And now it's time to thank our Patreon supporter of the day. And I want to thank George Spelvin. No, actually, I want to thank Jacqueline. Jacqueline has been one of our Patreon supporters since August of 2018, currently supporting the podcast at the shameless level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support, Jacqueline. And that will do it for today. If you're enjoying this podcast, please follow us using your favorite podcast software. We'll be back next Sunday with a Sunday encore from our archives, but join us back here tomorrow for The Adventures of Sam Spade, where... Sam Spade. Mr. Spade, this, this, this is a gentleman who... who yeah, is... don't tell me. I know the voice. Now, what is it this time? I'd like to see you, Mr. Spade. I must see you. I know. I'll save us both a trip. The this date is, is April 26th. The time is 1.38 p.m. It, All it trains, really planes, and streetcars are leaving on schedule. And for the favor to Golden Gate tomorrow, consult your nearest please, bookie. Please, sir. Please, Mr. Spade. Please, do not jest. This is a matter of life and death. I see. Fine. Then I'll see you tomorrow for lunch, huh? I won't be here, Mr. Spade. Oh, where'll you be? Dead. Dead. Look, look, I'm tired I, of this, I, Mr. Spinley. Give it to me straight or sign off. Now, what I, is it? you got to listen to me, Mr. Spade. It, it's most important. It's a life or death. It's a life... Hello? Mr. Spinley? Hello? I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram. Instagram.com slash Great Detectives from Boise, Idaho. This is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.